All right, Ephesians chapter number one. Ephesians chapter number one. Appreciate Earl stepping in and teaching the adult class uh, last Sunday. And I uh, was on the road a little bit yesterday, and I, I was able to, to listen to your, your lesson. Appreciate that. And uh, learned, learned some things, uh, some things I had not, not heard uh, about that particular topic and subject. Uh, so appreciated uh, him filling in last week. So we'll have about six weeks or so here. We'll deal with a series on the church, and uh, we'll get into uh, some of this uh, in more detail. This week is going to be a little bit more of an introduction, but uh, in, in October, Lord willing, uh, Dan Clark will teach uh, uh, throughout the month of October, and then I've asked uh, Brother Earl uh, for the month of November. And so that's kind of our, our fall uh, schedule as we, uh, as we get into the, 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 the fall uh, part of the year. Hard to believe uh, that we are mid, mid-August already. And I mentioned in my prayer about college students returning. We were picking up Natalie. And by the way, I hope that you have a chance to, to meet Natalie. She's a freshman at Purdue. Uh, it's been a joy to get to, to know her uh, a little bit better. And we were picking her up from... Uh, Purdue campus this morning, and it's move-in day, and I guess Marty's involved in that as well, and uh, there's U-Haul trailers, and there's moving crews, and uh, it was, there was a little bit of hustle and bustle uh, on campus. I'd imagine it's going to be 10 times that this afternoon and into the evening, but it's a busy week ahead for uh, Purdue uh, here locally, and then uh, Joey will be heading uh, back up to Maranatha, Emily will be heading down to Bob Jones uh, in another week or so. So a lot, lot going on, and we're looking forward to what the Lord's going to do uh, in hearts and lives as we continue to, to trust Him and obey Him. So the church, the church has taken, if I can say it this way in a respectful way, the church has taken a hit, so to speak, through COVID, through the cultural shift that we are seeing as more and more people are out of church, out from underneath the preaching and teaching of God's word, even though there's an 80-something percent survey of people who claim to be spiritual, but they don't claim to have any part of an organized religion, where surveys are showing that if you would attend church, I think it was twice in eight weeks, was the presidential poll, uh, at, the, at the time of the 2020 election, I think the poll that went out, the survey, was if you had attended church, I think it was twice in eight weeks, something like that, then you would be considered an evangelical for the purposes of the survey uh, of the poll. And, and you can, I mean, can you imagine if that's all that the commitment was from somebody who considers themselves religious, considers themselves a church attender, was twice in eight weeks? I mean, that doesn't sound like very, commit, very committed uh, people at all. Um, but we've, we've seen the shift in our culture. We, we know that COVID and the, the lockdowns and shutdowns where you could go and you could vape and you could buy liquor and you could go to your, your cigarette places and you could, get, you could, you could murder a baby, uh, an unborn baby. You could do all kinds of other sinful vices, but you couldn't go to church. It just goes to show you where the government is when there's a shutdown, a lockdown, and you can go and you can participate in sinful activities. You can buy and participate in 
in sinful and, and, and vices, but to, to come together as a church to worship, that, that was considered a violation of the, the, the COVID laws and restrictions. And now this week, have you heard? The guidelines are lifted. You don't even have to be vaccinated now. You don't have to stand six feet away. You don't have to wear a mask. According to CDC, it's, it's, all, it's all being lifted according to the, the, the most recent um, guidelines that we saw uh, that were posted. But anyway, that's, that's another, that's a controversial, <laughs> we can go a long ways with that and all the opinions there. But anyway, it's, in, it's interesting though that there was a response and I'm not here to, to cast judgment. We, we, we battled through it at, at Crosspoint and trying to determine what is the best thing and how to go about. And I know there were, there were uh, decisions that were made here. It, it was a real challenge for the church because God has called us to be together. God has called us to assemble together. And so how do we obey God's command and yet not cause somebody to die from a germ or a virus, okay, and, and all the things that went with that. But there was a symptomatic response from so-called professing Christians when churches were discovered to be really nothing more than social clubs, then a Zoom church, a virtual church, that was really not that different than listening to a political speech, a social gathering, that was really not that different than hanging out at the country club or the Eagles or the Optimist Club or the Lions Club or whatever club there is. If the church was not functioning any different than that, then yeah, might as well have a Zoom church. Might as well have a virtual church. Might as well do church on Microsoft Teams or whatever virtual platform, right? I mean, that's where it became. It became this, okay, what is the church really? What, what is the church really all about? And so there have been, after, as we've been dealing with two and a half years of various levels of COVID restrictions, and we've seen some pastors and churches step out in front and, and say, we're going to meet regardless of what the laws say, and even a pastor or Canada got thrown in jail for holding services that in some cases were even outdoor services. And dictator Trudeau, whatever his title officially is, prime minister, president, I don't remember. He's a dictator, basically. He's a socialist. And he you know, passed the law, signed the law, and the emergency powers and all that. And there were pastors, at least one I know of, that was thrown in jail for having an outdoor service. Um, and now there's even more... Uh, emergency powers in Canada that are being used. And there's people in America that are saying, oh yeah, we need some more of those emergency powers in, in America because you know, we, we, can make, we can make things right. We just need the power of the state, right? And, and then there's, there's all this that goes into it. And now, two and a half years later, there is still a percentage of people that have never returned to church. I'm hearing that the numbers are around 30% of pre-COVID church attenders that have never darkened the door of a church since the COVID lockdowns. 30%. Now that, to me, is symptomatic of 
a greater problem in our culture. One, the lack of commitment, the lack of real, true, committed Christians, many of whom were just professing, not truly born again, but then it's, it just goes to show what the world's influence has been upon the church. So I've read uh, at least one book, I've read several articles about the church. One was published in 2020 or 2021. Uh, I just finished reading excellent book on, on the church. And I've, I've, I've mentioned in here before, I think it was Vince Lombardi who held up a football one time to the Green Bay Packers after they had had a bad game. And he said, men, this is a football. He was back to the basics. They had had such a bad game. And in a sense, we're coming back to Christians and we're saying, this is the church. Have we forgotten what the church is? What have we done? We have patterned the church after the world. We have basically asked the world, okay, what do you want in church? And we've gone through and we've made a master plan based on what the world thinks that the church should look like. Bill Hybels made that a church marketing movement where he went out and he surveyed the community and asked a whole host of unsaved people what they wanted in the church. He took the survey and then built his church based on what the unsaved wanted. And then years later, Bill Hybels came back and said, hmm, that wasn't such a good idea. Now let's try the emergent church. <laughs> okay? He did not come to the, he came to the right conclusion about the wrongness of his philosophy, but then he made another wrong decision, and then I guess he got in trouble for uh, his authoritarian and his leadership, and I don't know what all, but I don't know where Bill Hybels is at now, but I understand he got himself in, in some trouble for how he led, was it Willow, Willow Creek, right? Willow Creek? So what, what is the church? What, 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 is, what is this all about? Uh, I, I love the church. I've grown up in church. I love the church. I love coming to church. You say, well, you're just a preacher. You're a pastor. You have to love the church. No. Yes, I'm a preacher. I'm a pastor. But I, I love the church. I love being with believers. It's, it's fun going to baseball games. It's fun hanging out in a, in a crowd watching a particular uh, event, being a part of a particular event, social event. But there is nothing like being in church. There's nothing like coming and worshiping together and being together and shaking each other's hands and hearing the Word of God and fellowshipping together around the Word of God and in the fellowship of the Spirit. There is nothing like it. And we talk about, and I use the term sometimes, Christian community. Okay, I don't mean that in a, in a social uh, sense, but the sense that the church is a community of Christians a local called-out body of believers, and we need each other. And it saddens me when there are people who call themselves Christians, who consider themselves evangelicals, and they have more commitment. There are larger percentages of them that are faithful to social and entertainment events and venues and clubs than they are faithful and committed to their local church. Much less serving. That's a whole other issue, is the areas of service and the people who are involved. And so I'm reading and I'm listening to uh, podcasts and, and uh, 
there's all kinds of articles and books now. I just picked up another, another book um, by a, uh, an author about the church written back in the 1970s, but I was reading through and helping prepare for uh, today's lesson. And, and even back in the 70s, he's saying, <laughs> here's things that we have to be doing as a church. Here's what the church is. So we're coming back, in a sense, back to the basics, so to speak. And let's talk about, for the next several weeks, let's talk about, and, and I'm hoping to include some discussion in here, uh, about the church. So today's lesson is going to be introductory. Ephesians uh, chapter number 1 is uh, where we will be uh, for just a, a moment. Then we'll go back to, to Matthew 16, which is on the, the slide there. But Ephesians 1, and let's go down to verse 22 near the end of the chapter. And hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. That's, that's powerful. There's a lot of doctrine that Paul writes in Ephesians 1. And at the conclusion of that tremendous doctrinal chapter, he speaks to Christ being the head of his church. The church is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. That means, among many other things, we have the opportunity as believers to be a part of the greatest institution on earth besides the family. God ordained the family, instituted the family, and he gave us the church. We have a part of being something that is the greatest institution besides the family that God created here on earth. We don't think of it that way, do we? You know, we think of all these other events and memberships and clubs and leagues, and we think about, well, that's, that's where you know, I have my fun. That's where, and it's not that there aren't connections. Uh, my father-in-law is a Vietnam veteran, and he has great connections with his uh, fellow uh, soldiers and uh, his, his battalion, and they, they still do reunions, and they've kept in, in touch, and, and uh, we're getting ready to, to mail out some, some shirts to, uh, I think, one or two of the, uh, the, the members of his, of his battalion. There's a bond there that they have from going through what they went through in Vietnam. There's a tremendous bond. But you know what I heard my father-in-law say as he was uh, considering what, what his life was going to look like um, with the, the passing of my mother-in-law? You know what he's talking about? He's talking about getting back in church. I'm listening to my father-in-law talk as we're visiting in the hospital and, and things and, and we're eating lunch together. And what's my father-in-law saying? I miss being in church. And Kelly would go over and she would spend um, a Sunday when she could, and what would he do? He would go to church. I love that. We've lost a lot of that, haven't we? We, we, have, we have young people now who church is very, very optional. Church is, well, I'm too tired, I'm too this, I'm too that. And what's one of the greatest enemies of Sunday? It's called Saturday. Particularly Saturday night. Saturday night can be the greatest enemy of Sunday because I want to stay up late, I want to do this, I want to do that, and no matter how much activity we have on Saturday, Sunday is still the Lord's Day. Sunday is still a day that we should be dedicating 
and prioritizing for the Lord. Now, I'm not here to get all legalistic, okay, and say, you've got to be at four services a week, on time. Okay, I'm not, I'm not here to get all legalistic, but I, I do think it's important for our church to have regular scheduled services, and people's schedules are affected. I get that. Work schedules, all kinds of things, travel, all kinds of things come into, in, into play. And so I'm not, I'm not here uh, to pound on and be condemning and judgmental about, uh, you know, four services a week or whatever. But my point is, we have scheduled, regularly, regular scheduled services for a purpose, for a reason. And there's everything from, obviously, the preaching and teaching of God's word, but there's, occasionally there's business meetings, there's missionaries, there's guest speakers, there's missions conference. All of these things, which are all centered around the Word of God, so that there are many opportunities for people, no matter what their schedules, for them to be a regular part of their local assembly, the church. And I know a lot of churches have done away with Wednesday nights, and done away with Sunday nights, and some of them have even done away with Sunday school or Bible study classes. And it's hard for me to imagine that if you are a fringe attender at a church that only has one service a week, you could literally get in to the, the mega church parking lot, ride your shuttle golf cart to the service, sit in the back, have a 65, 75-minute service while you sit in the fringes, walk out, hardly get to know anybody, maybe attend a small group, maybe, but even, even the small groups have their issues of attendance and accountability. And I've even read articles where there's how to, get your, how to, how to, how to fix your small group, okay? <laughs> how, to, how to fix that because it's not, you know, and people have busy schedules. But it, it's hard for me to imagine if you're on the fringe of a big megachurch and you have one service where you sit in the back and it's a 75-minute engagement, sort of, and you're out and you don't hardly get to know anybody, but you call that church attendance, I have a hard time believing how committed and how bonded you really are with fellow believers. I just, I just struggle with that. I just, I just wonder, how much do you really get in a 75-minute a week if that's all you're ever committed to and involved in with, with your church? And again, this isn't about a legalistic standard of church attendance, but there ought to be a pattern uh, in our life of faithfulness and commitment to God's local assembly, to the church. We ought to have close relationships. Our closest relationships ought to be with believers. Our closest relationships should not be with the bar buddies, with the, whatever the local... You know, I, I, I meet people, and they have better connections with worldly, unsaved people than they do with Christians. There's something wrong with that. Um, there's people who I've met, oh, I used to be a Sunday school teacher, or I used to be involved in church, but the preacher made me mad, or so-and-so made me mad. So I, I quit going. Well, I don't find that to be acceptable in the Word of God, that when you get your feelings hurt, or the... The, the preacher, 
you know, doesn't agree with everything that you agree with on every jot and tittle of every issue of everything from politics to doctrine to, you know, or there's someone in the church who, who hurt your feelings and, and there's not uh, a, a willingness to, to get that fixed. I don't see in scripture where it's acceptable then to just drop out of church, to just leave the church, to just take off and not be a part of church anymore. I remember growing up and getting into the ministry early Early in, in the days of, of vocational ministry, I remember getting frustrated with certain people. Um, I'm on staff at, uh, at Eagle Dell Cross Point, and I'm going out on visitation. We're visiting shut-ins. And I remember uh, with Pastor Defoe and some of the other pastoral staff, we'd make visits to some of these shut-ins. And then they would say, well... Uh, you'll find so-and-so on Thursdays at the grocery store. On Tuesday, they'll be out at the golf course. On Friday, they'll be out in their garden. They'll be working in their yard. You know, they start giving these little tidbits of these shut-ins who are unable to come to church ever at all, never. But they bump into them at the grocery store. They see them out mowing their yard, working in the garden. They find them playing golf on Tuesdays. And then sometimes there's those people that you would bump into. You'd find them at, you'd, you'd be at the store and you'd see them. And then they would make contact, they'd make eye contact with you. And all of a sudden, they'd be like, they'd be like this. And you could see them looking the other. Because we had just visited them at their house. And they were, in, not always. I'm not saying this was the case for all the shut-ins. Not at all, Okay. There was just that small percentage of those, of those shut-ins who never darkened the door of a church. But they had time for golf. They could make it to the grocery store. They could get out and work in their yard. They had time for these other things. And it was interesting. You'd go to their house, and they would give you a hundred things that's, that are wrong with them. Woe is me. They'd have a pity party. You'd be sharing scripture, praying with them, trying to encourage them in the Lord. And they'd be like, oh, yeah, we're, we're eventually going to get back to church. It's just, you know, this and that. And, the laundry list of all the things that are wrong. And then two days later, they're, they're at Kroger. <laughs> they're at Meyer. <laughs> they're, you know, whatever. And it's like, I thought you were, you know. So people make excuses all the time. And, and yet we, we, we see in the, the history of America, I was just reading recently about the Puritans. They left the church there in England. They go to the Netherlands and they, they can't, have their Christian community, they can't have their church and hold their regular services, their children are affected by the world, and they packed up and they came across to America, and what did they do? They got, they got their churches started, they got involved in worship, very simple church services, but they committed themselves to worshiping the Lord, and then we have seen the benefit of that in, in American history. But where is the church now? Is Christ the head? He, he remains the head, but do we recognize that anymore? He's the, full, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. That sounds like a full 100% commitment from Christ to his people. His willingness to sacrifice himself, shed his blood, pay the penalty for our sin. But one day a week, a few hours a week, we did a study one time in Bible class years ago, 
We took all the time. You spent 15 minutes a day reading your Bible. You went to three services a week. And we, we divided it all up. We put it on the chalkboard. We wrote all the time down. And it was something like less than 5% of our time is spent in any kind of Bible study or, or church service. And yet, it's so grueling, it's so hard, it's just so difficult. The pews are so hard. We're going to help with that, okay? That excuse is going to go away. <laughs> you know, there's this and that. Somebody's perfume stinks or, you know, or whatever. You know, somebody's, somebody's always got their stuff where I want to sit, whatever. And we, 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 we will sell name tags for your, no, just kidding, just kidding. No, I'm just joking. But so you know how it is. We, we tend to sit in the same places, and there are some people that... I get very possessive of a seat. But, you know, there, there's all these excuses for not coming to church. But I say it often, we won't make those excuses for standing in a two-hour line in the hot summer heat to get a ride that makes us sick to our stomach. We'll spend hundreds, if not thousands of dollars to go for our entertainment. I mean, we have all kinds of time and money for all kinds of things that make us feel good, that entertain us. But... We're not willing to do a little bit of sacrifice of praise for the God of the universe who sent his son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross. One day where we prioritize the Lord. Oh, that's just so much. It's just what did what did uh, Ten Commandments? Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Now, we understand that we worship on a Sunday now and the Lord's day is, is Sunday. And we've spent a little bit of time talking about that, but there's still that Sabbath principle. There's still that prioritization of, of God and, and his word and, and God's people that is still active. That principle is still there. And that command for us to be together is still there. We see the pattern in the book of Acts. We see the principle in the word of God. And we see the picture of the church in the church being the bride of Christ. Okay? So it's a lot of introduction. Um, any comments or questions so far before we go to Matthew chapter 16? Earl? Amen. 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 And we never and we never want to get over that. I tell you, there's something about I mean, I'm 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 listening to, to, to some people through the years. And I mentioned already my father in law, but I've met many people similar to him who they miss a church service. They miss Sundays because of illness or whatever. And there is a longing to be back in fellowship with their fellow believers. There is a longing to be together. And, and that speaks to that fellowship of the Spirit and that commitment to the Lord. But yeah, what a, what a blessing it is to be able to come together. We don't ever want to take that for granted. Yes?
Yeah. Right. Yes. Yes. That's a great point. It comes from a conviction. It comes from a conviction that results in a commitment, and that's from the heart. That's from within. You're, you're exactly right. Exactly. That's a great point. Yes. Yes. And we have the awesome privilege of being a part of God's redemptive plan in the world. That, that is incredible. That, that is humbling, and it's motivating, it's inspiring, and it, it should cause us to want to do more for the Lord and for his kingdom. Because we, we have a privilege to be a part of God's redemptive plan, and the church of Jesus Christ marches on. The gospel goes forth, and we have an opportunity to be a part of that. And we're just, as, as I've, I've heard it said, we're just crooked sticks that God uses to draw a straight line. But what a privilege it is to, to, to be that, and uh, by the grace of God. So thank you for those. So Matthew 16, in verse 15, Jesus has pulled his apostles, his disciples, off to the side. Whom do men say that I am? Some say John the Baptist, some say Elias, others Jeremiah. So some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, some say Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Verse 15, he saith unto them, but whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. So here's Peter, who often puts his foot in his mouth, makes a great statement, powerful statement. Thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Powerful. Jesus pulls his disciples aside. He pulls the apostles aside. He asks them these questions. And Peter makes a statement with a bed. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And what does Jesus respond with? Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We'll get into to this passage a little bit more, but I want to share a, a, a quote. I don't know anything about Eugene Peterson, but it's interesting what he, what he says here. I thought it was a great quote. He says, healthy spiritual growth requires the presence of the other, the brother, the sister, the pastor, the teacher. A private, proudly isolated life cannot grow. 
The two or three who gather together in Christ's name keep each other sane. Spiritual growth cannot take place in isolation. It is not a private thing. See, I'm not, I'm not here to be a conspiracy theorist, okay? That's not my point. I don't think that the government has our best interest in mind. I really don't. But it was interesting in learning about Marxism and humanism, secularism, and all these, these isms. One of the goals of Satan and those governments that ascribe to satanic Okay, is to isolate every individual. Somebody referred to it as atomizing each individual. Okay, and then by doing so, that individual then becomes a number for the state, for the government to then ascribe an identity, a number, a purpose. And then if you are a Christian, you have no value to the state. We watch an old... I, we, we like Twilight Zone at our house. I know it's a little morbid, a little twisted, okay? But we have enjoyed Twilight Zones. And there's one Twilight Zone called The Obsolete Man. And it's powerful. It's a communist kind of background, because, of course, in the 1960s, there was the fear of the USSR nuking the world. Okay, the Cold War. And we're in Cold War too, in case we didn't realize. There's other, anyway, that's another rabbit trail. But in this twilight zone called the, ab, the obsolete man, there is a court where a librarian is being judged. And he is condemned for being a librarian because he studies books and organizes books and he has learning based on the organized social order, the contributions of people in book form and word form, and he is considered, he is condemned as obsolete. And that government, in that show, identifies him as obsolete, and they are going to, uh, what's the word? Um, He's going to have capital punishment. He's going to be... uh, Executed. Thank you. Thank you. Couldn't think of the word. He's going to be executed. He has 48 hours. He gets to choose what he wants to do for his execution. He chooses a hidden bomb. And at the end of the, as the time ticks away for the bomb to explode, he's reading scripture. Literally, on this episode of Twilight Zone, he's reading from the Bible. And then the, somebody from the government comes and visits him at the apartment where the bomb's about to go off, and there's this ticking time bomb, and the, the, the guy from the government knows that this bomb's going to be going off. Panic, and he gets out of the apartment just in time. The, the guy unlocks the door, and this guy, from the gov- this guy from the government runs out the door just before the bomb goes off. So this obsolete librarian, he has perfect peace at his death. The government guy doesn't. And then at the end of the show, he's then labeled as obsolete because he embarrassed the state by running from the apartment and showing fear. He showed fear, and the state can never show fear. So it was very interesting because there was that idea back then in the USSR and communism and all that. But now we have in our culture today 
a broad acceptance of communism and socialism and Marxist principles and the humanism and the secularism that comes with it. And all that being said, the government would love for churches to be disbanded. And they set themselves up as God. The greatest threat to government power is the power of God. So if they can individualize everybody and put everybody into their numbers and put them into their system and be a cog in their wheel, then that would be purposeful for the government. I had a friend who went to China. His company was in partnership with China, and he goes over to China, and he says it was very interesting. He said, in China, the communist system had all the workers identified in their different levels and different places, and he said it was very different when he went over there because all the employees of that company there in China that partnered with the company here in America, of course, over there, all the companies are owned by who? Yeah, the state. The state owns the company. So all the employees, in a sense, are employees of the state. And so he found it very interesting. He said each of the different groups of the population were segmented into different categories of value to the state and the way they were ordered and structured in their work. It was very fascinating. Okay? So as we continue in our study of the church, we'll see that that is very antithetical to the, 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 the government and the one world system and what the devil is trying to do in the satanic uh, system that he is trying to force upon the world and what eventually the Antichrist and the false prophet will, will lead here uh, in, in the world after the, after the rapture of the church. But it's just interesting, the emphasis in this quote upon us being together and us needing each other and the idea of the body. And we'll talk about some of those uh, here in uh, uh, probably a future, a future week. But let's begin by understanding some basic terms. We just read from Matthew 16 and verse 18. But let's talk about this for a minute as we come to a close here for today. He says, Thou art Peter. This is the word petros, which means pebble or stone. Okay? So, thou art Peter. Thou art a pebble. Thou art a stone. A small stone. And upon this rock, which is the word petra, which has to do with a bedrock, a foundation stone, I will build my church. Well, what does the Catholic Church say? Upon Peter who is the Pope, will I build the Catholic Church? That's what the Catholic Church interprets this passage to say. But what's the bedrock foundation that Jesus is referring to here? What's that? Okay. I heard another one. Okay. What else? Peter's confession. Okay. I... I truly believe the truth, the bedrock truth of Peter's confession, of Peter's statement, is what the church is built upon. That truth that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that is the bedrock truth upon which the church is built. Not Peter himself, but that bedrock truth that Peter proclaimed 
that even Jesus said, flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto thee. This was a recognition of an eternal truth that thou art the Christ, the Son, living God. So that is what the church is built upon, Jesus Christ, that truth that Christ is God. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. That is the statement upon which, or that truth, that bedrock truth is upon what Christ will build his church. So now we're down to uh, just a couple minutes here. So that's as far as we're going to be able to get today. But we'll get into uh, more of this, Lord willing, next Sunday. Any closing comments or questions? Yes, Joey. Yes. 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 Yep. Exactly. Exactly. It's a great point. There is an establishment of an absolute eternal truth here regarding God, Christ, His deity, and obviously the revelation of, the, of God. The government then comes in, and then they become the authority, and then they, they start, re-changing, start changing all the definitions, redefining the terms, and he who controls the words and the thoughts eventually controls the people. So now you have Merriam-Webster even changing dictionary definitions regarding male and female. We have a change of marriage, etc. Yes, sir? So we've talked about commitment and conviction. Yes, Yes, yes. The gates of hell. Yeah. And we don't preach enough, teach enough about the gates of hell and the influence mm. that it has. Mm. So we've got to ever be present of not only the church, but of the forces yes. against the church. Good point. Good point. Yes, very, very interesting point there. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The church will bust, break the gates of hell wide open, break them down. But yeah, you're right. There is a resistance. Good point. All right. We are out of time. Thank you for the the input. And uh, we will come back to this, Lord willing, next week. And we'll look at Christ being the head of the church. And then we'll look into more specifics. Uh, But uh, Joey, do you mind uh, closing us in prayer uh, before we transition? Thanks. Amen. We'll start the service in about five.